How's it going, guys? Did we take up an offering? Did I miss that somehow? Okay, good, good. I want to make sure the lights don't go out on us this week. I want to. I got a lot of. I mean, look at my notes here. So I just want to go ahead and get started. Is that okay with you guys? So we're we're in this series on Genesis. Um, uh, this summer we've been doing a series on the book of Genesis to promote biblical literacy and hopefully inspire passion for the scripture. Uh, so part of this is we do a recap every week. And as I was doing the recap, it's was like, man, the recap is almost the whole. <laughs> so I'm going to try and move a little bit fast to get through everything. Um, here we go. So like I said, uh, this summer we've been doing a series on the book of Genesis to promote biblical literacy and inspire passion for the scripture. The Bible can be intimidating. It's a huge library of books written by many different people over thousands of years. People from different cultures, with different languages, different customs, and different contexts than our own. And it's easy to misunderstand. My goal is that we could make the Bible less intimidating and more exciting by offering a little context through this series. Um... But it's not just for beginners. Knowing the words of the Bible is one thing, but seeing yourself in God's story is a totally different thing. To me, this is the point, to see ourselves in God's story. The Bible is not a user manual. It's not a textbook. It's not a book of magic spells. It's God's story told through the lives of many very imperfect people, people that are not unlike you and me. Genesis is the beginning of this story. The beginning of God's story, the beginning of our story, the beginning of you and me. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Soften our hearts and open us up to Scripture in a way that causes us to see ourselves in your story. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys doing good? All right. Man, heavy worship time, right? Amen. Heavy. Do a quick recap. My dad spoke on creation. All things came through the heart of God. He created many good things and created people like himself to maintain the good things. We saw these people get confused, make some bad decisions, and we watched the world. They were given fall into chaos along with them. I spoke on Noah and the flood. We see God grieving over the violence in the world, so he hits the reset button and later swore that he'd never do it again because it must have been a real, really painful thing to do. Abraham. Andy spoke on Abraham, right? I think I missed that week. It was good, though. We see God start a new plan through one man. He called Abraham away from Babylon to a brand new way of life. And began the process of making the world right, beginning with this one man, and said, Abraham, Andy said, Abraham is the reason we are here. He's the beginning of all this. If there was no Abraham, there'd be no us. Isaac was the son of Abraham, and not as much is known of him as of Abraham, but we see Isaac, the son of promise, had to learn about this promise on his own, or for himself, not on his own, but for himself. He had to have his own faith, not just the faith of his father. Jacob, Isaac's son, the heel grabber. Al spoke on Jacob last week, and that was really great. It was incredible. He was Isaac's younger son, and he lives this like really epic life. 
The climax of his story being uh, his wrestling with God in the wilderness and how God changes his name from Jacob, which means the heel grabber, the con man, the hustler, to Israel, which means the prince, the royal born, the heir to the throne. This is where uh, we get the name of the nation of Israel. And Jacob had 12 sons, and uh, this is where we get the tribes of Israel from. Over time, the tribe of Judah would prove to be the most powerful in our day. Uh, it's basically the only tribe left. I believe this is where we get the words Jew and Jewish. A Jew is a person from Judah, correct? Am I wrong about that? But Jacob had a favorite son, and his favorite son was named Joseph. And that's who I'm talking about today. I'm going to uh, create a little context here. Uh, in my notes, it's called the lay of the, lay of the land. I'm going to create the lay of the land here. All right? Joseph was the son of Jacob, grandson of Isaac, and the great-grandson of Abraham. Joseph was born into a very toxic situation. Have you ever thought about that? The toxic situation that Joseph was born into. His father had two wives and two concubines, and Joseph had, was one of 12 brothers, and he had many sisters through four mothers, and these mothers didn't like each other. Twelve brothers from four mothers, and they didn't like each other. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss, but like evil or something. This is like an e- evil Dr. Seuss. I don't know if that's perfect. Eleven part whatever, but anyway. Jacob's first wife was Leah, and he didn't love her very much, at least in the beginning. So, uh, so Leah tried to earn his love by having lots of kids. Rachel was loved very much by Jacob, but she was bitter because she didn't have kids. So Leah wanted what Rachel had, and Rachel wanted what Leah had. Sounds familiar, right? It's called the internet. You see it every day. But it gets weirder. It gets weirder because Rachel wanted to compete with Leah, so she gave her husband, Jacob, her servant to have kids with. So Jacob... uh, had kids with Rachel's servant. Well, Leah saw what was going on and saw, oh no, Rachel kind of has a kid now, so I better step it up. So then she thought, well, two is better than one, so we can both produce kids if I give Jacob my servant as well. So then Jacob had kids with her servant as well. Well, Rachel wanted kids so bad when uh, her servant gave birth. Uh to Jacob's child, she said, and this is a quote from Genesis 30, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and prevailed. So I'm not imagining this tension here. Like, this is very clear. I've wrestled with my sister and prevailed. There's a little throwback to uh, Jacob's story, isn't it? I know. It's kind of interesting how the spirit of Esau and Jacob has not disappeared. It continues to exist in his family. The older and younger sister are fighting with one another for dominance. And it is awful. Leah felt so unloved that she would trade fruit to Rachel so she could sleep with her own husband. Doesn't that also harken back to Jacob's story about how Esau traded a bowl of soup for his blessing? So now Leah and Rachel are making deals. Because I guess Rachel is... For lack of a better term, Rachel is the bedwife. She's the one who stays with Jacob. And so she wants some fruit. So Leah says, uh, she, she, she actually says, you've taken my husband. You want my fruit now too? And she says, well, give me the fruit and then you can stay with Jacob one night. That's, this is where Joseph grew up. 
The rivalry between these two ladies was brutal, and don't forget about the other two moms. All right? What kind of things do you think the mothers were telling their children about the other mothers and the other children? What do you think that was like? Do you think the disdain the brothers might have had for one another came from their moms? Can you imagine? And if this wasn't bad enough, it gets worse. Some of Joseph's brothers were really bad guys. Really bad dudes. Al mentioned this story last week, but I believe it's Simeon and Levi, their sister. um, She is either seduced or... um, raped by a neighboring prince and the neighboring prince falls in love with their sister after he's seduced her taken advantage of her and so he he wants to make it right and he wants to marry her and uh and of course they're absolutely livid they're just absolutely cannot handle this and so uh they so they come up with this plan and they go and make a deal with him and they say that if you and all the men are circumcised then you can marry her and we'll marry your daughters and you marry our daughters and we'll be one people and we'll make this deal together. And so um, the, so they apparently this prince loved Dinah very much. So he's willing to go through with it. And all the people, all the men were willing to go through with this. Um, and so they did. After they did that, it doesn't say they had help. They may have had some help, but I believe, believe Levi and Simeon, Simeon and Levi, I didn't write it in my notes, we could look it up, but... They come in with the sword and they kill all the men since they're all defenseless, right? They go into a city and kill every man. And then they take all the women and children for their own, right? So think about this for a second. Joseph grew up in this super toxic situation with like four moms who didn't like each other, all these brothers. And not only did the brothers not like each other, they were kind of brothers who would trick people and murder people and take their wives and children. There's obviously no excuse for what the prince did. He probably, he probably, he absolutely needed to be confronted over this. But there's a big difference in confronting him and then murdering Lying, cheating, stealing, and murdering all the people in a city, right? Those were Joseph's brothers. That's how he grew up. So along comes Joseph in that particular situation. And Joseph is younger than most of his brothers. Uh, Joseph is his father's obvious favorite son. Joseph is also a snitch. He also was probably a little self-absorbed and he had dreams of ruling his family and had no problem sharing these dreams with them. I'm going to read, I'm going to read a couple of these dreams. Genesis 37, 5. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule? Or are you indeed to rule over us? <laughs> they repeated it. So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Right? 
I mean, we've all been young. We've all been immature. But you got to know, Joseph had to have some gumption to walk up to his entire family and be like, I had this dream where you all bowed down to me. And then guys like his older brothers who were prone to murdering people who also hated him. <laughs> it gets even worse. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is the dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. But his father rebuked him. It's a bad idea. I don't know if you ever walked into a room and been like, I don't know what you guys think, but I had this dream that one day I'm going to be better than all of you guys. People, people don't appreciate that. Kind of reminds me of that uh, old Saturday Night Live sketch where the guy's playing music in the subway. And he starts singing songs like, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to beat you up, I'm going to push you. And they're like, they're like, get mad at him. He's like, what, what, what? He's like, that's just a song. Didn't mean anything by it. It's like, Joseph's like, it's just a dream. I didn't. So Joseph's brothers, okay, so this is not enough. His father gave him an extravagant gift, a, a robe of many colors that must have represented everything the brothers hated about him. They thought he was spoiled, narcissistic, self-righteous, and he made their lives difficult. So his brothers came up with a plan. I'm going to be doing a lot of reading today, so I'm just warning you. We're trying to tell a lot of the story. So his brothers, his brothers, uh, Joseph went to meet his brothers in Shechem. And they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. That, he, that, he, that Reuben may come back and rescue him from the hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There's no water in it. Then they sat down to eat and looked. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. The Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So one day Joseph is living it up with the favor of his rich dad, having dreams of grandeur, and the next day he's a slave in a foreign land. What was that like? 
What was the culture shock? Did he even speak the language? Joseph had been stripped of his robe, stripped of his dignity, stripped of his identity, and stripped of his dreams. Joseph had been stripped of his robe, stripped of his dignity, stripped of his identity, and stripped of his dreams. So eventually, I'm trying to stay on track because of time, because there's a lot in the story, all right? So if I skip your favorite part, don't get mad, all right? There's a lot going on. But if it, so he gets to Egypt, and he ends up um, serving in the house of a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is one of Pharaoh's um, officers. He's an important man, right? And even in captivity, the Lord was with Joseph. He had favor. He'd become successful. Even uh, as a servant of Potiphar, he'd become successful. And Potiphar put him over the whole house. So he was in charge of everything that Potiphar had, except for one thing. That was Potiphar's wife. But unfortunately, Joseph was also blessed with good looks. And Potiphar's wife desired him. I know, guys, it's a curse. Thank you. (laughs) The apple in the tree, you know. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Genesis 39, 11, if I wrote it down right here. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, Potiphar's wife caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled, she called to the men of the house, household and said to them, see, he has brought... See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. So obviously Potiphar did not like this. So Potiphar took Joseph and threw him in jail. Threw him in jail. I like that part of the story where she grabs his garment and he runs out naked. Because I think you see this throughout Joseph's life. Because once again, we see Joseph stripped of his robe, stripped of his dignity, stripped of his identity, and stripped of his dreams. So Potiphar, once again, was one of Pharaoh's officers, so he put Joseph in Pharaoh's prison. And while he was there, he had a similar experience to his stay at Potiphar's house. said, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor, favor with the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. During his time in jail, Joseph met two of Pharaoh's servants. Um, I believe it was a baker and a cupbearer. And they both had dreams. And Joseph was the dream guy. 
So they told their dreams to Joseph and Joseph had interpretation for the dreams. One of them was going to be reinstated to Pharaoh and the other was going to be killed. And just like Joseph said, that happened. His only stipulation was, please remember me when you get out. Um, And of course, he was not remembered. He was forgotten. For a couple of years, um, until Pharaoh started to have some disturbing dreams and um, the cupbearer remembered Joseph told Pharaoh about Joseph, and Pharaoh invited Joseph to um, interpret his dreams. Sorry if this is getting a little clunky between my notes and the reading, but I'm trying to decide what I can read to you and what I need to paraphrase, but there's just a lot of good stuff in the actual text here. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. Once again, he changed his clothes. Changed, Joseph changed his clothes. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said that when uh, you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Glad God gave Pharaoh a favorable answer for his dream. May not have gone good for Joseph otherwise. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grasses. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I'd never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they'd eaten them, no one would have known they'd eaten them, for they were still ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke, and I also saw in my dream seven ears of corn on one stalk, full and good. And he has a very similar dream. And then Joseph interprets the dream. The dreams of Pharaoh are one. Joseph says, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And then seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will rise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine. So Pharaoh is um, impressed with Joseph's interpretation, so impressed that he puts Joseph in charge. He puts Joseph in charge and Joseph becomes the most important man besides Pharaoh himself in the entire land. Seven years later, back home, Joseph's family, Joseph's family began to feel the effects of the famine. So Jacob sent his ten sons, ten of his sons, to Egypt because he heard that they had grain. In Egypt, Joseph is in charge of handing out the grain. And lo and behold, his brothers show up and they bow down to him. They didn't recognize Joseph, but he recognized them and he remembered his dream. So there's, more, there's a lot more to this story, but ultimately, 
Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and they reconcile. They bring their father and all their families to Egypt where they live wealthy, blessed lives among the Egyptians because of Joseph. There's a lot more I can say here, but here's where I want to end the story portion. This is Genesis 50, after Jacob's dead, after Jacob's died. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave his command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of your father. Joseph wept. When they spoke to him, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And that's where I want to bookend this particular story. He said, you meant it for evil but God meant it for good. So I've, I've, I've told a very quick version of this story here and I want to um, make a couple of observations. The first observation is that Joseph is a type of Christ. There are so many similarities in, in Jesus and Joseph, that would make an interesting message on its own. There's a ton we could say about it, but you know the most obvious here is that Joseph is betrayed by his own, he's presumed dead, but is glorified because of it and ends up forgiving and saving the very people who sold him out. The Jesus story, right? Something else to note here is that Joseph had favor. Joseph had the favor of his father. He was given gifts, he was blessed, and it almost got him killed. Joseph had the favor of God in Potiphar's house. He was blessed, and he was a man of integrity, and he ended up in jail. Joseph was kind, and still he was forgotten. Jesus lived the perfect life. He was God's only begotten son, and he was killed and crucified for it. Favor does not mean that we won't suffer. Favor does not mean that we won't suffer. I hope this isn't a bummer message here. In fact, sometimes you will suffer because of the favor. Joseph had integrity. He was thrown in jail, not despite his integrity. He was thrown in jail because of his integrity. And this is important, not because I want to like doom you guys, like, oh, you're going to suffer. Just wait. It's going to hit you. No, God, I, I hope it doesn't. And you know, whatever. That's not the point. Here's the point is that whatever you're going through right now, whatever it is, what's ever happened in your life, in the past, whatever's happening to you right now, whatever you're going through right now, you cannot say that you have lost the favor of God. Your circumstances are not a mirror into the heart of God. And there have been times we have told a very overly simplified gospel message. If you do right, then the world is going to treat you well. If you do right, sometimes things are going to go your way and sometimes they're not. 
There is no silver bullet that's going to save you from the process. But what favor does mean is this. Number one, God will be present. Number two, you can find joy in the process. And number three, God is working all things together for your good. In the prison, it said God was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. Joseph was stripped of his identity. There will be times in your life when you will not fully know who you are. There will be times when you can no longer identify yourself the way you did in the past. Times when you can't do what you did. You can't be who you were. There comes a time when you cannot be who you were and must learn how to become who you are. Over and over, we see Joseph lose his clothes. There are times in life where you, if you try to cling to your past, you will miss God. There are times in your life where if you try and cling to your past, you will miss God. There are times when you need to let go in order to wrap your arms around what God has for you now. Don't get stuck in a loop. Don't get stuck in a moment. Don't allow your past to define you for better or for worse. Ever wonder how many times Joseph relived his actions as a young man? How many times uh, do you think he would daydream about going back and changing his situation, about doing things differently? Wouldn't you like to go back and fix your mistakes? Well, you can't. But God has one better. He can engineer your mistakes into something greater than you imagined. God doesn't fix your mistakes. He takes them and he turns them around and he weaves them into a new narrative. God doesn't fix your mistakes. He takes them, turns them around and weaves them into a new narrative. The things you're ashamed of, those things that hurt the most, he is taking those things right now and reworking them into a glorious new design. God used the wickedness of the brothers and Joseph's own self-infatuation to save the family and ultimately redeem the entire world. Because if there was no Joseph, just like if there was no Abraham, if there was no Joseph, there'd be no you and me. We wouldn't be in church. We wouldn't know the Lord, right? Because the chosen Jesus came through this family line. If they'd have died in the famine, we would have never known Jesus. Another observation, a word about dreams. You might never truly see your dreams come to pass until you take an interest in the dreams of others. What if Joseph was cynical and angry and when, the, when his two prison buddies brought their dreams to him, he said, I hate dreams. Look where dreams put me. I don't believe that stuff. I don't believe in dreams. What if that was his attitude? What would have happened? He would have stayed in jail. But he was soft in his heart. As the favorite son, Joseph was quick to share his dreams and he was hated for it. But as a prisoner, he engaged in the dreams of others and it made him a king. Sometimes the problem with your dreams is that they're yours. Sometimes the problem with your dreams is that they're yours. Sometimes you need to see how your story fits into the dreams of other people before you can even know what your dream even means. Joseph thought his dream meant his family would serve him, but God's dream was that Joseph would serve his family and save them from extinction. 
Are you hurting today because your dreams haven't worked out? Maybe your dreams aren't wrong, misplaced, or broken. Maybe your dreams are just lonely. Maybe if you can find yourself in someone else's dream, your dreams will eventually come back around. God meant it for good. This will be the greatest testimony of your life. This will be the greatest testimony of your life. Sorry, it's kind of a heavy message. But life is heavy. I'd love to give you the quick fix. McDonald's. In a 30 second hamburger version of the gospel. But here's the truth. And I feel like when we can land here, we can really begin to see who we are, who we were created to be. Not like what's your role in life, but who you're created to be from Adam until now, what God put you on the earth for. Your hardships might not be about you. Your hardships might be for the preservation of another. Let me tell you right now, we sang a song this morning called How He Loves, and I don't talk about that song very much because to be honest, I'm sick of talking about that song. But my best friend died when I wrote that song at that building right next door. It's over here. Right next door, like a football field away, they had a funeral for him. He was 24 years old, and people were standing outside. You couldn't fit all the people. You couldn't fit all the people in that building. But I knew he, he was one of my closest friends, and he always, his dream was that people would come to know the Lord through his life. And he used to joke about being a martyr. I'd be like, shut up, man. That's silly young you know and he died what seemed like a meaningless death in a car accident at 24 years old and out of that experience i wrote a song and i could not stand up here and read to you every letter that i've received because of that song And I could have been so mad. I would have been justified in my anger. That my friend with a promising life was cut short. I could have been justified in my anger. But I learned in that process that sometimes your hardships are not yours. Your hardships might be for the preservation of another. How many people have experienced joy because of my pain? And could you weigh those things? Could you put those on a scale? Of course not. But Joseph's journey and his pain ended in the salvation of his family, the seed of Abraham, the promise, the line of the Messiah, continued because of his suffering. And just as you and I are here today because of Abraham, you and I are here today in church because of Joseph. Even we owe our faith to Joseph. We know God because of what Joseph endured. 
You cannot figure God out. You see your situation from a micro level, but God sees your situation from an eternal perspective. You might feel like an outcast, like a prisoner, like you've been forgotten and lost. You might feel like your purpose and dreams have been scattered to the wind, but God might have you on a trajectory that's so big, it might take centuries to unfold. It might take centuries to unfold. You're worried about what happens tomorrow or next week or next year. God might be crafting something in you that will affect human beings for centuries. First Corinthians two nine says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I'm going to end by repeating this. God doesn't fix your mistakes. He takes them, turns them around, and weaves them into a new narrative. Those things you're ashamed of, those things that hurt the most, he's taking those things and reworking them into a glorious new design. God used the wickedness of his brothers and Joseph's own self-infatuation to save the family and ultimately redeem the entire world. Even sin. You know, there's the... What is it about? What is it in the Psalms where it says he's taken my sins and sent them as far as the east and from the west? He's cast them in a sea of, forget, of forgetfulness. These are um, beautiful metaphors for how God feels about your sin. But they're still metaphors. I don't believe God forgets your sin. I believe he takes your sin and your shame and all your badness and he flips it over and he figures out how to work it for the good of you, the good of mankind, and for his own good. There is no shame in Christ. There is no longer, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he can take your worst and he can turn it into something absolutely beautiful. Not he can, he will, and he is. He is currently doing that and he will continue doing that throughout the rest of human history, throughout the rest of eternity. And places where you were hurt, you will not be hurt. And... Where evil has fallen on you, it will be as though it never had. Your pain in, will be as though it never existed. Not like you'll forget it, but you'll look back and it won't even be there because it'll look like something totally different to you. Let's go at McDonald's. <laughs> Why don't you guys stand up with me real quick? Hmm. Lord, only you can make all things new. Lord, only you can make all things new. Only you can make all things new. And we thank you, God, that you do make all things new. You're making all things new within us and without us, Lord. And we just thank you that we get to be a part of that beautiful process. You are going to make all things new without us. You are going to save people without us. You don't depend on us for anything, in my personal opinion, Lord. But you have invited us, because you love us, into what you're doing. And we are so excited that we get to be a part of that, Lord. We say, let us be a part of it. Let me be a part of it. Let me not sit on the sidelines and watch what you do. 
Let me not sit on the sidelines and watch you change and redeem the whole world. Let me be a part of it. Thank you for that gift that you would work with us and you would invite us in to your process of restoring all things. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, John Mark. That was really good. Why don't you sit down one second and then we'll wind up. When I've thought about Joseph and John Mark so articulately covered his life, when I was thinking about what he lost, um, he lost his family, he lost his coat of many colors, he lost his hope, he lost his home, he lost his name. They gave him a different name, Egyptian name. He lost his hair. When they advanced you as a leader in Egypt, all of those guys were bald. He lost his language. He lost his accent. He lost his freedom. He lost his reputation. And every time God promoted him, he lost his clothes. You can go back and see five different, five different times. Now, the interesting thing is Joseph's name means God will add. God will add. And so part of what I take away from the life of Joseph, um, and I think John Mark really touched on this, is not that, that the message here is that bad things will happen in your life. The message is when bad things have happened in your life and you feel like you've lost things, Oftentimes, God uses those situations to add to you when you think you've actually lost something. Because through that process of subtraction that Joseph went through, here's what God added. He added a wife. He added two sons, one whose name means causing to forget, another's name means double fruitfulness. He added to him a family. He added to him rulership of a nation. He added to him powerful, world-changing revelation. He added to him the ability to preserve the lives of millions. He added to him restoration and become a restorer and savior, as John Mark mentioned, of the lineage of the Messiah. And he really did become the clearest prophetic type of Jesus in the Scripture, sharing at least 100 characteristics. And so, to me, Joseph's life is amazingly encouraging. Who in here suffered loss? See, all of us, all of us have. The message is, in that loss, by the presence and power of God, there is the kernel, there's the seed, there's the promise, there's the substance of restoration beyond the thing that you lost. And Joseph, and, and I thought that was so tremendous, John Mark, because Joseph because Joseph cultivated the garden of his heart, he didn't allow his loss to keep him from doing things connected to his loss that, that ransomed his entire family and ultimately the whole nation of Israel. You see what I'm saying? In other words, he didn't allow himself to become embittered, but through the losing process, he found a life in God that did nothing but add and add and add and add and add. And so one of Joseph's secrets was he refused to be bitter. Matter of fact, I've written about Joseph in this new book I'm working on. And 
time after time after time, Joseph loved, wept, and expressed his love towards his brothers who had done that to him. See, God has the power to so redeem your losses. He has the power to so turn things around to where, like John Mark actually said, you even don't feel the pain of those things that were so painful. God will add. Let's say, let's say together, God will add. When I look at my life, I say this about it in faith. God will add. I may look at subtraction, but God, strange mathematics here, he adds. See, that's what faith does. Faith looks at your losses and sees addition. I'll leave you with that. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for people today. We've trained people in prophetic and in healing. So if you need healing or if you need prophetic ministry, please come forward and we'll have a team over here that will be glad to pray for you. Um, Let's give it up for John Mark one more time. And the worship team. What a great morning. Great, great, great. God bless all you guys. Have a great week. Don't hesitate to come if you need prayer. Amen, amen.